0: Are you ready? Are you sitting down? The Shine On Podcast 2022. I've said before and I'll say it again. Divorce affects so many people out there. The money, the property, the assets, so many high-profile divorces, the conflict, the allegations, huge legal fee and support awards. You name it. Divorce is a true team sport. Incredible insight. Top divorce stories. Shine On Podcast. Shine On Podcast. The Shine On Podcast 2022. Episode 31 of the Shine On Podcast. I'm Evan Shine. Happy February, everyone. With me, as always, Producer Dave. I am looking forward to today's show. Producer Dave has a fantastic docket lined up and ready to go, followed by the Shine On Spotlight. And do we have an absolute treat for you today. As on today's episode, I'm joined by Britt Frank. She is a psychotherapist, trauma specialist, and the author of the upcoming book due out in March of this year, the Science of Stuck. What an absolutely perfect time to have Brit on as our featured guest on the Shine On podcast with the upcoming release of her book. We are going to talk to Brit about her book, Trauma, Healing, and the True Impact of Staying Too Long in a Traumatic and Unhealthy Marriage and Relationship. We will also explore the trauma of divorce. We will get into all this and so much more with Britt Frank, author, of the upcoming book, The Science of Stuck. Coming up next is the docket.
1: As usual, Evan, the docket is fired up and ready to go. Shall we begin?
0: Dave, let's do it.
1: All right. And now, let's see what's on the docket. All right. First item on the docket comes to us from the Associated Press. (coughs) Item Item one. One. Associated Press article headline reads, how can I avoid divorcing my husband over our daughter's education? And it poses, it's not a hypothetical scenario, it's an actual scenario that when a husband and wife had their child in the first place, they agreed they were going to homeschooler because they didn't like the public school systems, but now the wife wants to change that plan. And... It's caused considerable strife within this marriage. And Evan, I'll let you continue providing detail on this one. What are your thoughts?
0: Look, the first thing I would say is I highly doubt, although I could be wrong, that the only reason you were considering a divorce is because of the disagreement on your child's education. Look, I'm no psychologist or relationship expert. And we have had an incredible lineup of experts and guests who could weigh in and probably tell you that the answer is no. There is something much deeper and bigger Going on here. But from the attorney perspective, look, if you're going through a divorce and the issue of education comes up, it's a major issue. I see divorcing couples fight, argue, litigate, file motions. It's often a major source of contention. And here's why. Well, first, there's a tremendous cost to education. If the debate is, should my kids go to private school or should they go to public school? And philosophically, parents often feel very strongly about it based on their own personal experiences. If the matter is litigated and parents file a motion and get a judge involved, whether it's a debate over private school or public school, look, the court's going to look at the child's best interest and a lot of factors. Stability, consistency, the parents' own education, the cost of the school, the age and grade of the children. If the matter can be resolved, great. We will often draft language to put into a separation agreement that sets forth how major decisions, such as education, will be made in the event of a disagreement.
1: Well, the CDC apparently does more than deal with the coronavirus because they are weighing in on the subject on divorce on the next item in the docket. (laughs) Item Item two. two. From bestlifeonline.com comes an article titled "You're 75% More Likely to Divorce If You Have This." The data shows, and found that this factor significantly de- increases your chance of separating from your spouse. The CDC did a study and said that there are various reasons behind people divorcing. Uh, Seventy five seven. Pardon me. Seven hundred fifty thousand couples each year get divorced. You probably knew that Evan. And while there are certainly many reasons, CDC notes, several factors can play a role in ending the marriage, including where you live, etc. And then <laughs> I'll let you reveal the punchline as to what the big reason is. Evan, go ahead.
0: If apparently the big reason is that if you have friends that have gotten divorced in your social network, you are more likely to get divorced yourself. And look, I am all about the research and the study And diving deep into statistics and the incredibly important research, whether it's on divorce, conflict, the impact on children and education, as we've done in the past before on the podcast. This study that you mentioned, Producer Dave, looks at the social effects of divorce. What an absolutely fantastic topic. And I can see it. If you have a circle of people, friends, colleagues, and you feel supported, that you can lean on those people. Not for advice necessarily, because as a divorce attorney, very few things make my head absolutely spin more than a client saying, well, my friend got divorced in three months, why is mine taking so long? Or my friend's divorce did not go to court, why am I in court? Or my friend's divorce only cost $5,000, why does my divorce cost more? And then I break the news that there is absolutely nothing remotely similar about your divorce and any other friend's divorce, life, and situation. But this study is different. This is about the social network. This is about feeling supported, not feeling alone, and knowing that other people, regardless of their life circumstances, have walked the path of divorce before. Let's get into the Shine On spotlight, followed by my interview with our featured guest on the Shine On podcast, Bert Frank.
1: Well, continuing this new tradition in 2022, Evan, you have selected an issue to focus on today in this edition of The Shine on Spotlight. The Shine on Spotlight.
0: Dave, I'm absolutely fired up for the new segment, Shine a Spotlight. And on this episode, we're going to shine a spotlight on former Supreme Court Judge Matthew Cooper. Effective December 31st, 2021, the great New York County Supreme Court Judge Matthew Cooper has retired from the bench as a New York State Supreme Court Justice in the matrimonial part in New York City. This is the geographical area that I practice in, and what a tremendous loss this is to the bench. Judge Cooper got it. He was instrumental in so many ways. He was loved by attorneys who practiced before him, and it didn't matter if he were on the right side of an issue or an argument or the wrong side. Judge Cooper never made the attorney's Look bad. He had a terrific knack for settling really difficult and challenging cases in the courtroom, at the bench, or even in the hallway of the courthouse at 60 Center Street. In the beginning of a matter, in the middle of a case, or on the eve of trial, Judge Cooper was a straight shooter. He was really good at facilitating settlements. He presided over some high profile cases. We've talked about the cases before on the podcast. The pet custody case, the vaccination case, which was a case of mine. And he was unafraid to make tough decisions, to make law, to think outside the box. And he, again, he helped families move forward, recognizing the benefit of settling your case as opposed to going to trial. Judge Cooper will be absolutely missed as his mark will be left on the matrimonial park at 60 Center Street in New York City. Our featured guest today on the Shine Up podcast is Britt Frank. She is a psychotherapist, teacher, speaker, and trauma specialist. She is a leading expert on understanding trauma and helping people move through it and heal. She's the author of the highly anticipated book, The Science of Stuck, which is coming out in March of this year. Britt, it's great to have you with us. Welcome to the Shine Up podcast.
2: Thanks Thanks for having me.
0: Britt, I want to start with the pandemic. And really, everything that's happening in the world right now. And so many people are on this roller coaster. The emotional roller coaster, people are experiencing highs and lows. And there's that feeling, and we'll talk about it when we get into your book, but we'll there's that feeling that people are stuck, stuck in a marriage, stuck in life, and there's no clear path forward and no end in sight on when the pandemic will be behind us for good. What have you seen with the clients? you work with who are experiencing those highs those lows and the roller coaster
2: so it's really interesting because if people didn't identify as a trauma survivor prior to the pandemic they certainly do now so the clients that i work with already have an understanding of what trauma is how it works in and- The brain impacts our sense of stuckness. So the ones I work with, obviously we're all learning as we go, but it's really the people who've never been to a therapist or who have never picked up a self book who are coming and going, what is wrong with me? What is going on? Why can't I this or why can't I that? And the answer is trauma. But because people think trauma is, if I was in a war, I qualify as a trauma survivor. And it's just not about that. So with the pandemic, in order for people, people to feel any sense of mastery over their own bodies in the middle of so much uncertainty, we have to talk about trauma, what it is, how it works, why, yes, you qualify, even if you have money, even if you have a safe home, even if you have resources. You cannot get unstuck without talking about trauma in this pandemic. I won't even say post-pandemic. In this pandemic world, you need to know about trauma to get unstuck.
0: And Britt, you mentioned the word trauma. And you touch on that when people hear that word, people and their minds automatically go to the most dire situations, a major life tragedy, PTSD from a war. But how do you define trauma? And I would imagine that trauma comes in all different scales and all shapes and forms.
2: Yes, and it's important to know that not all trauma is alike, but we all, to some degree, have it. Trauma is anything that exceeds our brain's processing ability. So it's sort of like brain indigestion is the cheeky little tongue-in-cheek way I say it. But really, anywhere where our choices are either limited or absence, that is trauma. So the pandemic, none of us want this to be our reality. None of us have a choice about it. Therefore, trauma.
0: So during this time period, and you mentioned none of us have a choice with the pandemic and how it unfolded and what's happening. What is your advice and what tips do you have for people and the clients that you work with on focusing on mental health, especially at a time like this?
2: Mm -hmm. And the very first thing is to validate that it is a challenging time. The number one thing that exacerbates any mental health symptom, whether it's anxiety or depression or a marriage that's on the rocks or whatever, is minimizing or avoiding or reducing or excusing or in any way trying to dial down the reality of what is. So I think it's great that people have perspective on privilege and resources. And the number one thing to help your mental health is to validate that you're not okay. And it's okay that you're not as cheesy as that sounds. It's okay that you're not okay. (laughs) And if you try to pretend that you're okay, you're setting yourself up for way worse symptoms. The fastest path to mental health is reality and owning it and naming it.
0: And Britt, that's so incredibly important about validation and owning it and coming to the realization that you are not okay. Okay. And so I would think that there's some misconceptions about trauma, because to me, it's one of those words that people use, but they don't necessarily really understand what trauma is all about. So what do you hear? What are some of those myths and misconceptions of trauma?
2: Sure. And it used to be that no one talked about trauma and suddenly trauma is like the trendy buzzword. And so everyone is talking about it and lots of people are misusing it. Now I'd rather us be talking too much about it than not enough, but essentially trauma is an internal physiological process. People think that trauma is about the things outside of us that happen, but just like digestion isn't about the food you eat even though that's related. Trauma isn't about external circumstances. Trauma is about the brain metabolizing and processing our experiences. And so people think that trauma is in your head. My mental health is all about my mindset and I love motivation and I love inspiration, but it's important to know you cannot think your way out of being stuck. If we could think our way out of feeling like crap, I wouldn't have a job and the whole mental health field wouldn't need to exist because logically we all know what, to do. We logically know what to tell ourselves, but the gap between logic and what we choose to do is huge. And so knowing that trauma is a physiological process is the first step to sort of busting through the myths that keep us stuck.
0: Britt, there's so much out there about the stigma of trauma. How real is it? Why is it so hard for people to open up about their experiences?
2: I work with a lot of really front-facing, high-functioning people that look very shined up and pretty. If you look at them on social media or out in the world, and there's a huge stigma because if you don't know that trauma is a physical process, you're going to think if they know that I have trauma, I'm going to lose all my customers and I'm not going to be able to launch my business. And who's going to want to consult with somebody that's brain is doing X, Y, and Z. So the shame really gets eradicated when we understand the physiology, that this is not a mindset issue. It's not a character defect. It's not a question of weak versus strong, some of the strongest people that I know. And if you look at the sports world, there are a lot of high-level athletes that are now talking about, this is what's really happening inside of me. And I think in this pandemic world, it's okay to talk about it now in a way that it hasn't been previously.
0: No, Britton, you're 100% right. Athletes, they've been at the forefront of this. And I mean, whether it's Simone Biles or different people who have really spoken out about the importance of not only obviously physical health, but, but mental health and education and really starting it at the youth level. So with that is a backdrop. How did you get into this particular field? And what was your experience that got you so passionate about this work?
2: So I did not come out of school being a therapist with this skill set and trauma. I was sort of a disaster of a human being. I was very functional. And again, I was, if you were to look at me from the outside, everything looks fine, but I was anything. I had all of the mental illnesses, the anxiety, the depression, the personality disorders. I had symptoms of bipolar. My, my personal ride was kind of a mess. And so I tried a lot of different things. And eventually, I found the work of Dr. Peter Levine, who is sort of one of the, you know, thought leaders in the trauma field. and it changed everything. It's sort of like, When you're learning to drive a car, you have to really focus on everything and everything is overwhelming. But with just a few basic pieces of information, a 16-year-old can successfully drive a car. And the same is true for our mental health. It's amazing with just a few basic kind of driver's ed things, how fast we can get ourselves moving. You don't need to be an auto mechanic to drive a car. You do not need to be a neuroscientist to work with your mental health and get yourself moving, which is incredibly good news.
0: It is good news. And Britt, you you mentioned your own experiences and everything that you went through, but in the moment for you, was there that light bulb or what was that light bulb moment that you realized you needed to work, whether it was with professionals or you needed to really tackle everything that you were going through head on?
2: I really wish I had this amazing thunderbolt, God spoke to me, burning bush light bulb moment, but I didn't. (laughs) And what I've found in my work in the field is that most people don't have, it happens of course, but most people don't have these one time flash of insight moments. It's that we were mucking about in the dark and banging our head on the wall. And then eventually small moves over time add up to really profound shifts. So I wish I could say it was December 3rd and I decided I'm done being a disaster of a human. But it was more just testing and taking feedback and trial and error. And then eventually I looked around and life was working. And I was like, oh, this is fun. Okay. How did I get here? I have no idea. But these are the tools I used and these are the things I learned.
0: So let me ask you to 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 go back to that moment because I think it's incredibly powerful and inspirational. Had you not recognized, right, everything that you were going through and experiencing. And the clients that you work with, they've reached out, they're in your office, you're, you're, you're speaking to them, and they deserve all the credit in the world. But if you, as you reflect back now on what life was like for you, and the help that you recognized you needed, and the clients that you work with, the help they recognize they need when they work with you, as you think about how the path and journey for you could have been different. Had you not recognized in the moment that you know what, things were a disaster, you needed to reach out and get certain help.
2: So, and again, that's part of the reason I wrote the book. It's a great segue because the one thing that I wished I had really known is you don't need to take these giant leaps. The biggest thing that keeps that kept me stuck and that kept everyone stuck is if I don't change everything, if I don't fully up change my diet, start the workout program, now I'm gonna work out five times a week and I'm gonna read all the self-help books. If I don't do all of the things, those little moves don't count. And I was very quick to dismiss my small moves moves forward. But it's sort of like if you're going to take a medication, you have to sort of dose yourself up so your body can tolerate it so that eventually you can get to a healing level of that medicine. This is the same thing. We're so quick and so is I to minimize and invalidate our small wins. And you cannot get to a big gain without recognizing a small win, not with mental health. It doesn't work. You have to start stacking these wins over time. So I wish I had known, Hey, you get to bank those little things, the days that you didn't want to get out of bed and you've managed to get out of bed from the bed to the couch. We're going to bank that as a win. And over time, if you realize you count all of those, you get a sense of efficacy and you get a sense of agency and things start working a lot faster.
0: You mentioned your book. So let's dive into it. Tell us the motivation behind your book.
2: So this is the book I wish I had when I was going through my process at the, on, on the other side of it, when I was looking and I do a lot of writing um, on Instagram and it's really not rocket science. And that was the biggest lightning bolts, if there was one, the stuff is not easy to do, but it's not complex to understand. And mental health was such a mystery. My own body was a mystery to me. I didn't know how anything worked. Again, imagine putting a five-year-old behind the wheel of a car and saying, okay, now drive cross country. It's like, I don't know how to do that. So this is the book (laughs) I wish I had when I started my process.
0: What's the one thing that you want someone to take away who picks up your book and reads it? What's the message?
2: That you don't have to stay stuck. Disclaimer there is to the degree that you have resources and you access and you have your basic needs met, you absolutely do not need to stay stuck. Whether it's the marriage or the career or the fitness or the health or whatever, you absolutely do not, our brains continue to grow. We know the brain is not set in stone. So knowing that you can rewire your own brain, that's a biggie.
0: When you wrote the book, What surprised you? What fascinated you? What what did you discover about yourself that maybe you didn't realize before you started writing the book?
2: That's a really good question. I really like that question. What I discover through the writing of the book. So for me, it's the ultimate show and tell, but there's an awesome restaurant. I want everybody I know to know about that restaurant. And so <laughs> this book is really that giant stack of self-help books that I've waited through over the years. I've gone through and I'm like, this is the best thing from this author. And this is the best thing from this thought. It's sort of like a cliff's notes guide to mental health. And again, it's, oh my gosh, if I can put that, just the bullet point high level truths from the best of the best in my field in one place it really makes sense it really does form a picture and you can look at it and go i don't need to dive deep into this one area i can cherry pick my way to getting myself out of stuck and then i can dive deep later and so that was really fun for me throughout pulling together all the resources that you actually can get a lot of information in one book you don't have to read 30 to get what you need to know to get moving
0: Oh, that's great. And I can't wait to pick up a copy. The book, The Science of Stuck comes out in March 2022. But I want to shift and talk about family life, divorce, and trauma. And for many people, and I work with clients as a divorce attorney, and I meet with people, I speak to people. Divorce is something that is unexpected. It can blindside you. It's like a train wreck that so many people didn't see coming. And even for the people who did see it coming, it affects them In many ways as well. It's painful, it's emotional, and it's incredibly expensive. The world is turned upside down. And if you have children, their lives as well go through transition. In your experience, what are the short-term and long-term effects that divorce can have on someone's Mental health.
2: And divorce is a tragedy and it's a trauma. And in some cases, it's the best thing for people's mental health. And my first job in this field was as a children's therapist. And it's so important for me that parents know divorce is not the thing that will mess up your kids. Parents who are unskilled and who are not mentally well will, if if, I mean, we all mess up, we're human. But divorce inherently is not the thing that will mess up your kids. So for people who say, I can't get divorced because if I get divorced, my kids will suffer. Well, the alternative is likely in some cases worse where you're forcing yourselves to stay together in a marriage that has no business being together. So divorce is not the thing that messes up children. So the long-term consequences of divorce are really the long-term consequences of not processing and getting help and dealing with it. Divorce, again, is awful, and I'm not minimizing how terrible it is, but people who do their mental health work, who get their children help, don't have to be long-term sufferers of traumatic consequences of divorce. If you can deal with the pain and the tragedy in real time, you don't have to suffer a lifetime of mental health issues as a result.
0: But I love that answer, and there's so many things I want to ask you about. But one that comes to mind is... So many times you hear it, I hear it. People stay together for their kids, right? People stay together until the kids are (laughs) out of college and they've moved on. But what's the effect, the traumatic, really the impact of staying in an unhealthy, often at times it could be an abusive, emotionally, financially abusive, controlling relationship. The impact of that on your kids. Kids are smart. They're perceptive. They, they pick up on an unhealthy relationship, but for parents who make that choice, the impact on their kids may be the opposite of really what they intend.
2: And again, I always like to couch this in, if you're a parent who stayed together for the children and now your children are grown, this is not about shaming people's choices. Most sure. people are doing the best they can. So if you're hearing yourself in this and going, oh my God, Britt said I'm a terrible parent because of this, not saying that. But what you're saying is true, is that parents who stay together for the sake of the children, and I see these kids when they hit college and then their parents get divorced. The second the kids leave the home, the parents are like, woohoo, now we can get divorced. The children are absolutely horrified to discover that their entire childhood is a lie. That the only reason they have their childhood memories is because their parents were suffering in silence. And so the biggest detriment to a child's mental health is a family that's keeping secrets and lies. It is much better for children to be in an open open conversation, divorce, where both parents are committed to being age-appropriately age honest with the children than have the kids find out once they hit 20 that it's all a lie and mom suffered for 20 years because of me. That is a devastating reality for people who are hit in college to come to realize. It's
0: such a fascinating perspective. And the thing that I see is, is, and you mentioned, it's not the divorce itself, but it's the, the, the way the parents go about it, the message that they send to their children. Parents can be, and I see it all the time in my practice, wonderful co-parents. They could be wonderful co-parents, but together they were terrible spouses. And so you see it play out, but you're right. Kids are smart. They're perceptive. They see their parents in a certain way. And years down the line, you're really, I don't want to say deferring that traumatic experience, but but children will go through that, not necessarily maybe in the moment, but years down the road, based on the choices that parents may make.
2: Absolutely. And I love that you said they're deferring it. They're deferring the children's mental health issues with interest. It is a lot easier to parent a child through the right now than to wait for years and years of secrets and lies to stack up and then have to undo it later. And again, I'm not yay divorce. Again, divorce is a tragedy and no one gets married wanting to get divorced, but you're so right. Divorce is not inherently traumatic. What's traumatic are secrets, lies, and unskillful people who are not recognizing how the children are suffering. And kids are smart, and they do know. And co-parenting successfully is wonderful for a child. Parenting out of a, we owe the kids this fake happy life is really, really damaging. And if mental health has a stigma, divorce certainly has a stigma too. And people are very ashamed and they stay together a lot of times past the point that makes sense because of the shame, which I understand. And, but if it's about the kids, just know honesty is always the best policy for children's mental health.
0: And we've seen the the stigma as it relates to divorce change over the years, but it's still real just like it is with mental health and discussing traumatic life experiences. When thinking about relationships and trauma, everyone comes into certain relationships, whether it's with significant others, dating, professional relationships, and everyone has a past. And so as people who have been through traumatic life experiences, what's the impact of not addressing those experiences Take in the relationship sense, if you enter a new relationship and you've been through a traumatic life experience, how can people open up to their new partner, new significant other about something so real, so painful that they've been through in the past?
2: So the past and people, I love it when people say, you know, the past is in the past. I, I got divorced and I'm moving on and now I'm going to enter the dating world and I'm fine. And I don't need to, because I'm functional and I don't need to deal with any of that. But the, the problem with the past is the past stays present until it's processed. That's my little alliteration, like the three P's.
0: It's true. I, I, I love it. It makes all the sense in the world.
2: Right. You, the past is not in the past. The past is in our nervous systems. The past is in our bodies. The past is in our day to day choices, how we think, how we act. And so a failure to acknowledge the past dooms us to repeat it. And so we are, even though logically it's, well, if I had this horrible relationship, now I've learned and now I know what not to do. But unless you really process, how that relationship impacted you, you're going to repeat it. And that's called repetition compulsion. It's the compulsion to repeat the trauma. And our brains are very good at finding ways to repeat our traumas for the purpose of changing the outcome. So unless we're consciously aware of these relationships, how they came to be, what our part was, if there was one, et cetera, we're gonna end up in the same relationship over and over and over, or we're gonna end up in the same war conflict over and over and over. So again, a radical commitment to what is true Is the thing that breaks those cycles.
0: How hard is it for someone to be in a new relationship and open up about a traumatic experience for fear that they're gonna be judged or viewed to their new partner?
2: So we could talk for hours about (laughs) safety and dating and red flags. So I would say the first thing is if you are terrified that your partner is going to judge you because you're sharing a traumatic event, perhaps that is not. The healthiest relationship for you. But I would also say that relationships need time and space and Hollywood and pop culture have this, it's instantly I knew and I met my soulmate and I tell them everything. It is not healthy for our own mental health, nor is it healthy for a relationship to overshare, especially about high level trauma early on. It's a bridge and you have to build a bridge over time before you start sending Mack trucks. One of my old therapists sure. used to say that you don't drive <laughs> a 10 ton truck over a two ton bridge. So if you've spent the time and the effort building a relationship and you're still worried, your partner will judge you. Perhaps there are a few other red flags that we need to assess.
0: No, you're right. Then we could spend hours talking about that. We may have to have you back for a brick <laughs> frame part two, but you mentioned Hollywood. And one of the things I want to ask you is, the show, The Affair, I don't know if you've seen it, but I talked about the show, the Showtime hit before on the uh, on the podcast for different reasons. But, but in that show, the parents experience the loss of a child very early into their marriage. And you see throughout the show how that loss affects their relationship, how that loss affects their ability to date. It affects their ability to work and really communicate so I want to ask you, although you have not seen it, how real is that scenario where there's there's a devastating tragedy experienced by parents early on, and they never discuss it? So you see it really impact each and every aspect of their lives.
2: And I'm not a parent. I don't have children, so I can't speak to this personally, but witnessing countless people. I mean, the death of a child, I, I don't think there's a greater tragedy than that. Like that's just of all the things that are not supposed to happen. Parents are not supposed to outlive their children. Like that's really not supposed to happen. So I have a lot of compassion for people going through that and you're right it's it's a incredible disruptor to a relationship for a variety of reasons a lot of times when there are children present a lot of the relationship issues can especially if they're not big ones can sort of not be a thing we're focused on raising the children and doing things together as a family and we have our interests and the unit sort of works and when a piece of that unit is taken away fundamentally everything that was subsurface comes up to the surface and so it's tragic just in and of itself, but it also shines a very harsh spotlight on every single corner and crevice of that relationship. And people are not in a position to do high-level relationship reconstruction while they're grieving. Those things are really hard to do at the same time. And so I do see that child loss can absolutely devastate a relationship.
0: And Britt, in, in terms of relationships, you mentioned one of the buzzwords, Trauma. It's it's thrown around. It's used at times. It can be misunderstood. One of the words that I hear from my clients each and every day, Evan, my spouse is a narcissist. My spouse has narcissistic tendencies, has a narcissistic personality, and you need to tell the judge. You need to tell and show the judge that my husband is a narcissist. Can you explain what that word actually and really means? And how can someone recognize it?
2: I'm so glad that you brought, again, I need three more hours for that one. So, okay. (laughs) Oh, and narcissism is one of my sort of subspecialties. So I'm very sensitive to the word narcissist has gotten watered down, just like the word trauma. Before, no one was a narcissist. Now everybody is a narcissist. Everybody. Everybody.
0: I'm not not exaggerating. Every day, Evan, I need to know, have you worked with clients whose spouses are narcissists? Every day I hear it.
2: Right. So let's this is really important because I've been in one of those relationships. Okay high level true narcissistic relationships are the most crazy making abusive devastating. I mean, there are few abuses that are more devastating than narcissistic abuse in a relationship. And I've been on the receiving end of it from the high level type narcissism things. It's absolutely brutal. And it's the sort of Dateline You wouldn't believe it unless you saw it. I saw it and I still can't believe it. So that exists. And so it's important to know that the type of insanity that people are describing is very, very real. It's more common than you think. And it exists. That said, not everybody is a narcissist. Everybody, narcissism is a continuum. And so there's the high level kind of the, what we think of when we think of it, and then sort of the low level bathroom selfie taker type people. We all have narcissistic qualities to a degree. So it's really important to know that everyone, you, me, everyone to a degree in certain contexts, we have narcissistic characteristics. Now, now, under pressure, people who have high, who fall higher on the spectrum will demonstrate more severe behaviors, but not everybody is a narcissist. And before, and people throw the word gaslighting around. Really, he's gaslighting me, he's gaslighting me, and he's a narcissist. It's Another like, okay,
0: word I hear all the time. Sure.
2: Right. So like, let's slow this down. Let's back up. Let's examine what is really happening here. Because to say that my partner is a narcissist has very severe implications and judges do need to know that this is a thing and here's what it looks like. But no, just because someone is saying something to you that you don't like, it might be unskillful. It might be ugly. It might be mean, but that doesn't mean they're a narcissist.
0: And so, Brett, I've talked about on, on the podcast before, and I've, I've had different experts on to talk about domestic violence and non-physical forms. Of domestic violence, course of control, psychological manipulation. And when you talk about gaslighting and narcissistic behavior, and mentioned the judges need to know, and I asked a similar question to, to the expert I had on about the other forms of non physical domestic violence, because judges hear it so often and the word is thrown around so often, it's still real. What advice would you have, whether it's for matrimonial and family law attorneys to present cases where there are gaslighting, where there are examples of narcissistic behavior that is having a real effect on the relationship, the marital relationship, and also the children.
2: And especially for the children. And again, I wouldn't wish narcissistic abuse on anyone having experienced it myself. But when we're talking about courts and divorce and judges, my thing is if nothing else that I wish that attorneys and judges would get educated on this for the sake of the kids, because obviously- physical abuse, domestic violence where someone is being hit or punched or neglected and not being fed or given their basic needs. Those things are devastating, but for a child narcissistic abuse is even more devastating. I'm not comparing them, but it's hard it's even more devastating in that you can't see it. So often the impact is not evident until way later in life. But for people in the court system, there are ways to educate yourself on here are the telltale signs, here are things to look out for, here are things to coach the I don't even like saying co-parenting because if you're divorcing a narcissist, you're not co-parenting, sure. you're counter-parenting. And here are ways that you can take care of your children while you're trying to make sense of what's happening to you. I mean, it's so, so covert, which makes it, it's really hard to address a problem that you can't see. So start number one, know that it really is a problem and it's more common than you think. And number two, there are ways of working with children and with the opposite spouse that can help them. And knowing that this is a thing is a big deal.
0: You mentioned children, and I want to ask you about inherited trauma, things that we experience as children if they go untreated or unaddressed. How does that affect ability of parents to really parent their own children, potentially, if those experiences and traumatic incidents don't get talked about that parents may have experienced when they were younger?
2: Sure. In the 12-step program, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, they always say family secrets keep us sick. And whether or not there's a like hardcore addiction that's present in a family system, family secrets do keep us sick. So for families that come from oppression, enslavement, war, Holocaust survivors, they've found and studies have shown that the impact of that trauma will last multiple generations, even in generations that don't even know that the trauma happened. And there's some really interesting research. Um, Dr. Rachel Yehuda and Mark Wolin has a book called It Didn't Start With You, which is all about inherited family trauma. But it makes sense. If my mother experienced a thing and never dealt with it, that's going to color and inform everything about how she views the world. So everything she's teaching me is going to be based on the lens that she sees it through. And if she's seeing it through a trauma lens, there's no way for me but to inherit that way of thinking, being, and doing.
0: That's, that's incredibly powerful. And you mentioned before obviously the book that you have coming out in March of this year and your Instagram account, tell everyone how people could find all the wonderful things that you're doing. Pre-order the book. You're such a tremendous resource for so many people. Where can people find everything that you're doing?
2: Thanks. So I'm on Instagram and it's just my name at Britt Frank and it's B-R-I-T-T with two T's, F-R-A-N-K. And Britt is not short for Brittany. And I will be saying that a lot, I think this year. And then (laughs) the book www.scienceofstuck.com is where they can go and they can pre-order it wherever, but come say hello to me. I love talking to people. Message me, reach out, email.
0: No, this is fantastic. And Britt, I want to thank you for coming on the Shine Up podcast. This was absolutely wonderful. It was a pleasure.
2: Thank you. Likewise.
0: Episode 31 in the books. What an absolutely terrific episode. Britt Frank. Wow. Was she tremendous? Such a powerful interview. Incredible takeaways from her. Producer Dave, I can't wait for the official release of her book, Mm. The Science of Stuck, Breaking Through Inertia to Find Your Path Forward. Thank you to all the listeners. Producer Dave, we are off to an absolutely incredible start in season two. Thank you.
1: Hey. Hey my pleasure and just a reminder to all the listeners check out the show notes of any episode and you can find information on the shine on podcast youtube channel and things like where to order Britt frank's book all the links will be there check it out all good stuff
0: all the listeners can listen to the podcast on apple spotify stitcher google and all major podcast platforms as producer dave said we are on youtube check out the complete archive of podcast episodes from this season and season one follow the podcast and follow me on social media for the latest content, head over to shineandivorce.com, send in your emails to Evan at divorcecom I'm Evan Shine, and I'll talk to you again real soon.